0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Dr. J's American Passages. I'm Dr. J. Today I'll be reading a passage from Captain John Smith's The General History of Virginia, New England, and the Summer Isles, published in 1624. The passage I've chosen is the story Smith tells of being rescued from certain death by the Indian maiden Pocahontas, who lays her head on his just as his brains are about to be beat out by Indians brandishing war clubs. I put it in this awkward way, the story Smith tells, because I'm by no means certain that this event actually took place. I'll explain why I have doubts after I've read to you Smith's account. But before I do that, let me set the scene. John Smith was an English-born adventurer and soldier of fortune, a not uncommon type at that time, though there are probably few, if any, whose history is quite as romantic as Smith's, even if we take his telling of his history with a few grains of salt. Born in the English countryside in 1580, Smith, at the age of 15, was apprenticed to a wealthy merchant in a nearby seaport town. At 17, Smith left his employer and joined a company of soldiers fighting in Holland on the side of the Dutch in their revolt against Spain, which at that time ruled Holland. By the time Smith was 21 he is fighting with a Hungarian regiment against the Ottoman Turks who are expanding into Europe. At one point he is engaged in single combat by three Turks, slaying each in turn. He later falls wounded and is left where he fell, only to be found by battlefield looters who sell him to a Turkish trader who takes him to Constantinople where he comes into the possession of a young woman who in turn gives him to her brother, a Turkish pasha stationed in what was then southern Russia. After arriving there, Smith kills the pasha and escapes by horseback to a Russian garrison. After long travels through the nations of Eastern Europe, he joins a crew of French privateers operating in the Mediterranean After being again wounded in a battle with Spanish warships, he finds his way back to England. He is now all of 25 years old. In England, Smith falls in with adventurers organizing a colonizing voyage to the New World. In April 1607, he arrives in Virginia, where English colonization efforts had begun 20 years earlier so far with little success. The colonists, numbering about 100, settle on an island in the river they name for King James, about 35 miles upriver from its mouth. They name their settlement Jamestown, which turns out to be the first permanent English colony in North America. The colony is ruled by a council of seven, including Smith. The colony has a mixed relationship with the people already living there, made up of about 30 groups, each with their own leader, but under the greater rule of the leader the English called Powhatan, after the nation he rules, as was common English practice at that time. The following December, while leading an exploratory party further up the James, Smith leaves the bulk of his company behind and continues on with two Indian guides and two English companions. The small group is attacked and his two English companions killed. Smith is taken captive and is eventually taken to meet Powhatan. Smith remains with Powhatan three days before he is released to return to Jamestown. The passage I've chosen is his account of these three days, as well as what followed upon his return to Jamestown. It contains his account of being saved from death by Pocahontas. Smith's language will sound quite old-fashioned. He refers to himself in the third person as Smith, or he rather than I. He refers to the native leaders as kings and queens and their attendants, courtiers. The two cannons he sends to Powhatan after his release he calls demiculverings and later refers to them, as well as a millstone also to be presented to Powhatan as toys. He sometimes refers to the native people as savages, spelled with an L, to indicate the meaning ones who live in the woods. The Pocahontas story comes with the first day. An elaborate adoption ceremony comes with the third day. And the help to the English colony Pocahontas continues after Smith's return to Jamestown comes at the end of the passage. So let's begin with Smith's Indian captors some days after his capture, bringing Smith to Powhatan. From THE GENERAL HISTORY OF VIRGINIA, NEW ENGLAND, AND THE SUMMER ISLES BY JOHN SMITH BOOK THREE At last they brought Smith to Maranacomo, where was Powhatan their emperor. Here more than two hundred of those grim courtiers stood wondering at Smith, as he had been a monster, till Powhatan and his train had put themselves in their greatest braveries. Before a fire, upon a seat like a bedstead, Powhatan sat covered with a great robe made of rarokun skins and all the tails hanging by. On either hand did sit a young wench of sixteen or eighteen years, and along on each side the house two rows of men, and behind them as many women, with all their heads and shoulders painted red, many of their heads bedecked with the white down of birds, but every one with something, and great chains of white beads about their necks. At his entrance before the king, all the people gave a great shout. The queen of Appomattox was appointed to bring smith water to wash his hands, and another brought him a bunch of feathers instead of a towel to dry them. Having feasted him after their best barbarous manner, a long consultation was held, and the conclusion was, two great stones were brought before Powhatan. Then as many as could lay hands on Smith dragged him to the stones, and thereon laid his head, being ready with their clubs to beat out his brains." Pocahontas, the king's dearest daughter, when no entreaty could prevail, got his head in her arms and laid her own upon his to save him from death, whereat the emperor was contented he should live to make him hatchets and her bells, beads, and copper, for they thought him as well of all occupations as themselves." for the king himself will make his own robes, shoes, bows, arrows, pots, plant, hunt, or do anything so well as the rest. Two days after, Powhatan, having disguised himself in the most fearful manner he could, caused Captain Smith to be brought forth to a great house in the woods, and there upon a mat by the fire to be left alone. Not long after, from behind the mat that divided the house, was made the most doleful noise Smith had ever heard. Then Powhatan, more like a devil than a man, with some two hundred more as black as himself, came unto him and told him now they were friends, and presently he should go to Jamestown to send him two great guns and a grindstone, for which he would give Smith the country of Kapawasik, and forever esteem him as his son Nantiquad. So to Jamestown with twelve guides they sent him. That night they quartered in the woods, he still expecting, as he had done all this long time of his imprisonment, every hour to be put to one death or other for all their feasting. But Almighty God, by his divine providence, had mollified the hearts of those stern barbarians with compassion. The next morning betimes they came to the fort, where Smith, having used the savages with what kindness he could, he showed Ra Hunt, Powhatan's trusty servant, two demi-culverings and a millstone to carry to Powhatan. They found them somewhat too heavy, but when they did see him discharge them, being loaded with stones among the boughs of a great tree loaded with icicles, the ice and branches came so tumbling down that the poor savages ran away half dead with fear. But at last we regained some conference with them, and gave them such toys, and sent to Powhatan his women and children such presents as gave them in general full content. Now, once in every four or five days, Pocahontas, with her attendants, brought them so much provision that saved many of their lives, that else for all this had starved with hunger. There is much to learn and much to marvel at in this passage. Powhatan, in exchange for Smith's freedom and grant to Smith of a small dominion, asks for cannons and a millstone which Smith provides. The cannons are small as cannons go, firing not cannonballs which could be used to batter down the walls of Jamestown, but rather scatter-shot stones that Smith knows are more useful in defense than in offense. The colonists had used these cannons to repel Indian attackers, firing them from the tops of their walls as Indians approached over open ground, which is how Powhatan learned of them. But they were too heavy to be brought forward in a moving attack, and of less effectiveness than arrows against entrenched defenders, so Smith can trade them without concern. Interestingly, when Smith demonstrates their use and effectiveness to Powhatan's emissaries, he brings down a great crash of icicles in the Virginia winter. More interesting still is Powhatan's request for a millstone, which could eventually affect cultural change in everyday Indian life. Of interest, too, is Smith's description of those present, particularly of the women, all with great regality in their face paint, feathers, and chains of white beads worn as necklaces. The adoption ceremony is remarkable, though Smith probably exaggerates the number of braves present. Most important, though, is the account of Pocahontas bringing to the colonists provisions that sustained them through the winter. But if I accept all of these details, which I do, then why don't I accept his account of Pocahontas placing her head between his and the club's poise to beat out his brains? This incident has been elaborated and expanded countless times, becoming a part of both American folklore and, in many minds, American history, it has been turned into paintings, poems, songs, plays, stories, and movies. Captain Smith and Pocahontas have been made into romantic lovers, and their relationship representative of at least an early possibility of American Indian relations. So, why do I doubt that the rescue of Captain Smith by Pocahontas happened at all? Well, my doubt begins with the often dry subject beloved of English professors called textual history. The passage I've just read comes, as I indicated, from a book entitled A General History of Virginia, New England, and the Summer Isles, published in 1624. This volume, though, is just a collection of books Smith had written earlier. The third book, in which this passage appears, is a revision of a book Smith had published twelve years earlier, in 1612, titled The Proceedings of the English Colony in Virginia. In this earlier version, the rescue of Smith by Pocahontas doesn't appear, though the rest does nor does it appear in an earlier account Smith wrote of his capture and meeting with Powhatan titled A True Relation. So why the change? It seems unlikely that when writing his earlier version, Smith had just forgotten this incident, or even had decided it wasn't interesting enough to include, but something has happened since Smith published his 1612 account. Pocahontas has become famous in England. She has married an Englishman, John Rolfe, who established the first successful tobacco farm in Virginia, just upriver from Jamestown, and in 1616 came with her husband and infant son to London, where she was greeted and hosted as royalty. Sales of Smith's General History published in London when memory of the Indian princess was still fresh, could not have been hurt by the thrilling story it tells of Smith and Pocahontas. It's a shame, I think, that this perhaps fictitious incident is what has most survived not only of this passage, but of Smith's complete writings. A fine children's book or young adult novel might be made of Pocahontas's story if her true age were used. Smith first writes of her as being 10 years old, and in subsequent versions raises this only to 13 or 14. She was a girl, not a young woman, and Smith never suggests a romantic relationship with her. Her true adventures between the English and her native people are full of bravery and independence and eventual tragedy as she dies at the conclusion of her visit to England at the age of 20 or 21. Similarly, the story of John Rolfe, her husband, is more important to American cultural history and the history of the Americas than the story of Captain Smith. At the time Rolfe began his experiments with hybrid tobacco varieties, with seeds imported from other lands, the Jamestown colony was still struggling to survive. Rolfe's tobacco plantation, the first agricultural plantation in America of any kind, brought to the colony the capital that allowed it not only to survive, but develop and thrive. Such agriculture for the accumulation of capital required large land holdings, as would later the introduction of cattle requiring pasture lands and hay fields. This need for expansive lands for private use for the accumulation of capital both doomed the native nations of North America and provided the basis for the prosperity and development that has led to, among other things, The excess capital needed to support historians and English professors. Yet the story of an Indian maiden named Pocahontas rescuing a handsome young Englishman from the deadly clutches of her people probably isn't going away. It's a part of American mythology. What perhaps matters most isn't its historical accuracy or inaccuracy, but rather what Americans have made and will make of it. While the Disney movie, for instance, which has this romantic story at its heart, has been criticized by many Native American scholars, the Oglala activist and actor Russell Means, who provided the voice of Powhatan, thought its portrayal of Native people and their relationship to nature to be positive. I too, while scoffing at the love story, was overwhelmed when I first saw the movie by its beautiful depiction of the natural world. While we need a more accurate American history than we have had up to now, we also need more culturally helpful stories than we've had up to now. We need to develop both with the goal of seeing them eventually become one. Until next time, I'm Dr. J.